Mark 15, and it's uh, just what we're looking at today. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away and turned him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Well, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then wove a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they worshipped him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. They forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Leave him alone now. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So thanks, Lord, for this, your word. To Peter, chapter 2, verse 21 through to 25. This will be on the screen as well. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. Um, I'm going to pray as we start this, and then I'll explain these verses for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here this morning, Lord. Thank you that, we can, um, that we've got your word and, Lord, that we've got this um, clear account of, of your work in this world through the person of Jesus. Father, I pray, pray that by your spirit you'd help us to understand, Lord, what's good about what happened, um, Lord, amongst Lord, all the confusion and all the, the horror that we've seen, Lord, from that Bible reading. Father, I just pray that you help me to explain um, clearly, Lord, yeah, what's good about Good Friday. And Lord, I just pray that you help me to be faithful uh, to what the truth is. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been thinking about that question, what's good about Good Friday? And in, in thinking about what's good about Good Friday, I've been thinking generally what's, what is good and what is bad. And so I was thinking... I was thinking about my life. I was thinking about the things in my life and what things I consider good and consider bad. And I thought back to my wedding. That was good. It was really good. Weddings are good, aren't they? I thought of some of the holidays that I've been on, not just the sheep herding holidays, but holidays where it's been at nice places, at beaches, looking at the ocean. Holidays are good. Um, I thought about my family, both my family here and my extended family. It's good. I really, um, really have a good family. Now, if you're a football fan, 
a thought back to the 2007 NRL Grand Final, and that's when Manly, my team, lost to Melbourne. And they got they actually got smashed by Melbourne. And it was very bad. So I'm thinking of all the things in my life as a very bad moment. But then I thought then of the 2008 NRL Grand Final, we have to live in the past when you follow a football team, don't you? The 2008 Grand Final... When Manly got Melbourne back, and not just got them back, but they posted the biggest winning margin ever recorded in a rugby league grand final. And um, I think the other statistic is they're the only um, grand final match that have ever kept the other team to zero, to zero points in the whole... So that's just a bit of facts, but we'll come back to that in a little while. Very good, very good memory. I thought about some of the concerts that I've been to. Um, I've been to... I've seen U2 live in concert. That was huge. There was about 80,000 people there. Um, I've been to some other good concerts, and I quite enjoy that. That's a good part of my life. Um, As I was thinking about this, there was a time before my family moved over here that my dad had to move over here. We used to live in Urala, and my dad got a job down here, and he had to live here for about three months before we were able to move over, and it wasn't very good. Dad only came back about every third weekend, and it was... It's not a good part of life when you're separated from your family. I thought back to a few years ago when my pop got really, really sick. Now, that was sad for a few reasons. It was sad because we slowly saw him deteriorate and it was really bad because he died. It was a horrible time. Now, apart from the fact that my pop was about the only one in my family that cared about those football facts, which he did, which was a great person to have around, It was awful to see him deteriorate in that way. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing good about when people die. And when I think of that experience that I've had, I try and think about Jesus and his death as I was reading from Mark 15. It left me with one question. What's so good about Good Friday? See, we see horrible things in Mark 15. Jesus has been arrested but found innocent. He's given the death sentence and someone who deserves it, Barabbas, who was a murderer, is released. He's mocked and he's insulted by people. His family is there watching on, helpless. And although we see other words um, of Jesus in other parts of the Bible, what we've got recorded here is him crying out in agony that God has forsaken him. Now, Jesus had been going around praying all the time, calling God his Father, introducing to people that there's an intimate relationship that can be had with God, and yet he cries out that this God has forsaken him. Where's the good? What's so good about Good Friday? And when I was younger, my family was involved in, in traditional Church, so traditional Anglican church it was. And my early memories of Good Friday church was that you would act very sombre, which means being, it was like you're being gloomy and very serious. I, I think, I don't know how, how good my memory is, but I'm pretty sure we didn't talk. So you'd get to church and you wouldn't talk, and you would generally leave without talking to one another. And I'm sure that people still meet that way today. Very sombre, very sad. And on the surface, it would make sense to meet that way. There's a funeral-like element to a service like Good Friday. We're commemorating Jesus' death today. It's not just any death, it's a horrific death, as Nigel read it out for us. 
And it's not just the death of anyone, but it's the death of arguably the world's greatest teacher, the world's greatest philosopher, the world's greatest thinker, and a miracle worker that's worked miracles like no one who's ever lived, put to death. And if that's all that Jesus was, then it would be right for us to mourn. It would be right for us to be here with gloomy faces. But we live on the future side of these events. We know how the story finishes. Without stealing the thunder of Sunday, we know that Jesus doesn't stay dead. And we know that his death for us achieves something. And that's where Peter helps us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, which we'll throw back up on the screen for you, what we see is we see Peter, one of Jesus' close friends, years later, writing something down that makes sense of that day. Peter's on our side of these events in terms of history. He's been able to weigh it all up and make sense of it. See, Peter, he was one of Jesus' followers, and he'd run away in fear when Jesus was arrested. But he's made sense of what went on. These are the things that he says, in all its horror, make it something that we remember as good. Have a look at verse 21. He says this, Christ suffered, which we've seen in Mark 15, but he says, Christ suffered for you. In Jesus dying on the cross, in Jesus being forsaken or separated from God, he's actually substituting in my place. He's substituting in our place. He's in there so we don't have to be. He's standing in, in our place. Now, God didn't have a plan to put you on a cross. That wasn't his plan. But he was obliged by our sinfulness and his holiness to separate himself from us. Our sinfulness. Our sinfulness is our complete rejection of God. In every way, we ignore God. Even though he's the one that made us, we ignore who he is. It's our nature as sinful human beings to do this. I do this. I can see in my life how I don't live naturally to want to please God. I live to please myself. I have a tendency, I have a tendency to just do things that will make me happy and help me to feel comfortable. And sadly, that comes sometimes at the expense of people at the expense of their love, their care, their feelings and their their finances. I constantly try and please myself in my sinfulness. See, sin isn't so much individual thoughts or words or actions that displease displease God. It's, It's the entire package. It's our entire rejection of God, entire rejection of him as my maker and as my rightful king. God made me... Not for that. God made me to live with him in control, to have him looking after me, him directing me through this life that he's given me. And so for all my sinfulness, Jesus suffers the punishment that I deserve for that. We sang it in How Deep the Father's Love. It was my sin that held him there. Have a look at verse 24. He or Jesus, Jesus bore our sins in his body. In Jesus substituting himself, all our sinfulness is put off us and onto him. God treats Jesus like he should have treated us. 
we were the ones that deserved to be forsaken by God. It's epic. Epic beyond all comparison. You can't compare any love to that. It happens out of love that God has for us. It happens so that our sin, the barrier between us and God, is put to death. In verse 24 at the end he says, By his wounds you are healed. See, Jesus is wounded on that first Good Friday and we receive healing out of it. I'm not talking about physical healing, but it's talking about something else. Our relationship being healed. Our relationship with God, our purpose in being made, it's crushed by our sinfulness. Our lives living under God with his care and protection, the way that he designed, it's wounded and therefore ruined by our sin. And it's completely, completely, absolutely healed in what Jesus does. You see, if you're a Christian, it's because you've accepted that. You've accepted that you deserve punishment and that in love, Jesus wore it. Jesus took the brunt of that punishment for you. Our sin is that serious. The way all people treat God like he's nothing, like he's unimportant, like he's not powerful, like he is not able to impress us and that he should have to impress us, that attitude deserves justice. Our sin is that serious, but God's love is that big that he would be punished for us, that he would give us all a second chance, that he would patiently wait for us to realise who he is. If you haven't accepted that, then I want to encourage you that God is patiently waiting for you to come to understand this, to come and give your life to him, the one that made it and the one that died to have it again. That he did this, that he'd fix the problem and show us how deeply he loves us. Now, like I've told you in the kids' talk, we are off to visit Tara's family today. And I am excited about doing some sheep work. Now, I'm excited for a few reasons. Um, This year, I'm going to try and play rugby union, which I've never done before. And so it'll be a good bit of practice in the sheep pen, trying to um, tackle them, which is what you have to do. Um, But the frustrating thing is that sheep work is hard, and they are hard to get in. The dogs sometimes do the right thing, but they don't always. And to get the big group of sheep in, sheep do their own thing. We know that. And the last verse from 1 Peter says that. It says that sheep go off astray. Like that song that we sung from Isaiah 53.6, Peter explains that we're like those sheep, running around doing our own thing. We're astray, not living like God intended. But now by trusting Jesus' work on the cross, we celebrate today. We can celebrate that he brings us back to himself. By trusting that Jesus has had the punishment paid out on him, we have, as Peter says, returned to our shepherd, come back to the one that cares about us, that knows how to look after us. We've come back to God. Looking at the way that Jesus was treated on the cross, Even though we weren't there to spit on him, we've all spat on him time and time again in the way that we treat him. 
Yet the message of Good Friday is that we're let off free for that as Jesus hangs there and is punished in our place. Good Friday doesn't need to be sombre or morbid. This is a day to celebrate. God's done what we could never do. It's personal, like those guys who recounted Jesus' life. It's personal. It's about you. Jesus loves you so much that in spite of how you treated him, he was willing to lay down his life for you on that cross. Good Friday, in the truest sense of the word good, it is good. So if you've never thought about this before, if it's for the first time you see how Good Friday can be good for you, then I want to encourage you to pray to God. Do business with God. Ask him for forgiveness for your rejection of him. He's there waiting. He's done it all. That's what we're talking about. He's made it possible. He's waiting patiently for you. Thank God for Jesus who took your punishment. Ask Jesus to take control of your life. And if you are a Christian, if you sit here knowing that you've done that, knowing that you have a relationship with God because of Jesus, then I want to challenge you because I was challenged when I was writing this sermon. I want to challenge you with this thought. Do you actually value what Jesus has done for you? I was really challenged by that. Do I actually love God for this? Do I actually value this? Does it give you a deep sense of peace like it should? Does it give you joy? Does it give you deep gratitude in your heart? Or is it just something that we take for granted? That first Good Friday was personal. Let's celebrate today. Let's celebrate today for what God has done. Let's celebrate with our whole lives, worshipping God for what he's done. Let's do that now as we pray. Lord Jesus, we... Lord, we just ask that you'd fill us with awe for what you've done. Lord, that in love you'd, you humbled yourself and you took up that spot, Lord, to cop God's wrath and to, to heal, Lord, everything that's wrong with our relationship with the Father, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you'd Help us to know you if we don't. And Lord, I pray that you'd challenge, um, Lord, each of us who haven't taken on Jesus, Lord, to take him on. And Lord, I pray for us that have taken on Jesus, Father, that you would fill us with joy, Lord, that you'd fill us with, um, with a deep understanding, Lord, a deep thankfulness. Lord, as we remember today and we celebrate today, Lord, your love shown for us on the cross. Father, we praise you for Jesus. Lord, we pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.